Open Globe Talk is a podcast series for aspiring ophthalmologists and trainees interested in obtaining education in global ophthalmology. Be part of this unique setup as we interview ophthalmologists around the globe virtually and get to create equity in service, innovation, and medical education. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Open Globe Talk, where I'm joined by our wonderful guest today, Dr. Ashley Bernicell. Dr. Bernicell recently completed a global ophthalmology fellowship at the Marine Eye Center in Utah, and she obtained her medical degree from the University of Utah, where she also did her residency. She continued training in cornea and refractive surgery at the Shiley Eye Center at the University of California, San Diego. She also holds a MPH from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, with several papers published in peer-reviewed journals, Dr. Bernicell is an accomplished global ophthalmologist, and we can't be more excited to hear about her journey today. So thank you, Dr. Bernicell, and welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, you know, before, before we dive into global ophthalmology, I was uh, kind of curious to know what your, uh, how you got started with uh, ophthalmology. Well, I mean, I can't really talk about my journey into global ophthalmology without talking about generally going into ophthalmology. They were very intertwined. I knew that I wanted to do something in global health before I wanted, knew that I wanted to do ophthalmology. So I don't, I don't really know if there, I can't really remember the exact point, but um, I knew I I read basically read a book by uh, about Paul Farmer and his work in Haiti, and that was when I sort of decided that I wanted a career that would let me do some global work and wanting to do it in an impactful way. So I went into medicine knowing that I wanted to do some sort of global health before I knew what I wanted to do, um, and that eventually led to ophthalmology. That's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, one of the reasons why this uh, show even got started was because a lot of us get inspired by global, you know, in general ophthalmology because of the global medicine aspect. Um, there's a lot of, a, you know, quick gratification uh, out of the, the short time you're there working uh, up cataract patients. And that's usually a, a an experience a lot of students who've gone abroad quote. Um, so I completely, you know, relate with that. Um, I also noticed that during your time as a medical student, uh, you did a research fellowship uh, through the Doris Duke Foundation. Uh, just wanted to hear, you know, what that was and um, how you got started there. Sure. So again, that kind of goes back to, I had finished my third year of medical school and I still didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I really liked everything, but couldn't put my finger on what exactly it was that I wanted to spend the rest of my career doing. And again, falling back on my desire to do something global health related, I applied for the Doris Duke Foundation uh, Fellowship, which actually it um it doesn't exist in the exact same form anymore but anyhow they they i think it was something like 20 international 
uh, fellowships that they offered and it was research-based. So I partnered with API at Yale and uh, did research uh, regarding pediatric HIV and specifically adherence to antiretrovirals in the pediatric and adolescent uh, population. And so I spent a, almost a year in Accra, Ghana um, doing that research. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, you were like in Ghana doing that research and collecting the data. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we started off, uh, I started off at Yale kind of learning, um, like biostatistics and things like that, taking some courses. Um, and then yeah, spent, I think about nine and a half, 10 months in country. Well, yeah, that must've, uh, shaped significantly where exactly you wanted to do future research projects in, uh, I'm guessing. Yeah. I mean, I, to be honest, I came back, uh, it was one of those kind of the first trip that I went on that I thought, you know, look at me, I've completed three years of medical school and I know so much and I can be so helpful. And then really kind of hit me in the face that I still had a long way to go in terms of being able to be impactful. And it was more a learning experience and a humbling experience for me. Um, I, I certainly learned the difficulties and barriers regarding research in um, low and middle income countries. And I think that was certainly valuable. Um, and, you know, the funny thing is, is that I, I went there with the intention to give me some time to figure out what I wanted to do. And by the time I was back in the States starting my fourth year, I still, I still hadn't made a decision. Yeah. I think a lot of uh, medical students listening in can relate. <laughs> um, I, I was noticing also, uh, you can, you know, I've mentioned this in the intro, but you completed a one-year uh, MPH uh, at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine um, in eye care. Uh, and I wasn't aware that they offer specialty in that field. Um, so tell us more about your time at the school. Yeah, I'd love to. I actually, I mean, of, of all my years of training, I would say that one's probably my favorite. And just because I think it was, it gave me such a unique experience in terms of the training and mentors. So the year, so there, there, I think, I believe there is one other MPH that uh, is specific to eye care that's in South Africa. I'd have to check. I don't think it's offered every year. And again, don't quote me on this, but I, I believe there used to be one um, at John Hopkins. But again, I could be somewhere on the East Coast, but it's no longer offered. So anyway, the London School of Hygiene is the only master's program that offers it on a yearly basis, the eye care program. And basically, you're with a cohort of ophthalmologists, optometrists, or other um, you know, NGO coordinators who are specifically in eye care. So it's a really tight-knit group, and a lot of basically we're taught everything through the, the lens of eye health, eye care, and, you know, from different um, epidemiology scenarios to field work that's all specific to eye care. Um, and it's, we, all of our mentors, all of our teachers specifically do work in 
global ophthalmology or eye care. And I, I use the term eye care because it's just more broad. Um, and so it's just the, the connections that I made that year were incredible. And it just completely changed the trajectory in terms of how I am going to approach global blindness and global ophthalmology um, really to be less mission-based and a lot more sustainable. Um, and basically not just not, not just to do that, but how to do it and, and, and how to kind of avoid some pitfalls that some people tend to make when they want to make a change, but don't really know how. Yeah. So like a systematic education that would, uh, like teach you how to have sustainable, um, you know, impact in a region rather than just going out and being a savior, uh, with a savior attitude. Um, so I, I, I really like that. Um, you know, I've heard a lot about the school itself, but I had no knowledge that they had a program such as this. Um, I was kind of, you know, you went to a foreign country and was that during like residency or right after medical school? The, the MPH? Yes. Mm -hmm. So that was actually after my cornea fellowship, because my plan was actually to come back uh, to, after my cornea fellowship to do the global ophthalmology fellowship at the Moran. Mm -hmm. And I, I had thought that I wanted to just do a general master's of public health during that year. And so I started kind of researching so that I could apply. And even if I couldn't complete a whole master's during the global ophthalmology fellowship that I could at least start it. And so anyway, that's what I did the research um, and found out that they had the eye care specific one. So yeah, anyhow, I did it after my cornea fellowship. Wow. I think that's uh, really unique and uh, you're very self-driven to keep on, you know, enhancing your education surrounding global ophthalmology. Um, and you did it, your thesis in eye banking and corneal transplantation. Uh, tell us about, about how, how that was, you know, propagated during that master's. Sure. So I knew because I had that background in, in cornea that I wanted my project to be somewhat cornea related and I just, as I researched the state of corneal transplantation and eye banking in the world, it just became very apparent that there was a huge uh, lack paucity of corneal transplantation eye banking going on in sub-Saharan Africa. And so that was, that was very clear. What I wanted to do was to find out what information there was on it. Um, you know, I, I talked to a lot of cornea specialists who spend time in sub-Saharan Africa, but they all kind of have, you know, their spheres of relationships and what they know is happening there. Um, but it wasn't really done in a, you know, there's no, I hadn't really ever done in a systematic way as, as to actually what's happening on the ground. Um, and so that's what led me to that, to that project. Yeah. In a previous uh, episode uh, with Dr. Um, Rao, uh, he was talking about eye banking and how difficult it was in India because, you know, we, we have cremation as opposed to burying somebody. Um, and, uh, you know, it's unique to hear that eye banking is uh, another, you know, issue in another part of the world um, outside of that. Um, and, you know, 
when you started your MPH right after your um, fellowship at Shiley uh, what, how was that foreign experience like for you to be in a different um, system, the NHS system in, in the UK uh, versus how it is like in the U- United States? So, I mean, I didn't, I actually didn't spend a lot of time interacting with the NHS other than sometimes having them as an example for um, like within my classes for different healthcare systems. Um, For example, there is emphasis. um, I don't know how many of your listeners have heard of the world report on vision which was just a big report put out by the WHO two years ago. Um, and it was, it, it came out while I was in London and the, it basically is a reiteration of what has already been published in iCare, but specifically one of their, the, th- the, the themes that they brought over and over again was that countries need to deliver um, integrated patient-centered eye care and integrated meaning and patient-centered meaning integrated into the greater healthcare system um, because oftentimes it's silo eye care is siloed separately um, even here you know to have get contacts or glasses sometimes you have to have you know separate vision plans and that's oftentimes in other health care systems too um, and patient-centered meaning and or people-centered is, you know, how to make it easy to, to access. So an example in the NHS of this that I got to see, and they actually took us out for a field trip to see it, is a basically diabetes center. So a patient goes and gets their, their sees their endocrinologist or their primary care provider who's taking care of their diabetes. And in that same clinic right next door, they go and get fundus or retina exams. So photographs done. Um, And it's not by an ophthalmologist, by a technician that takes the photos. And then right next door, if they, if they need it, um, there's also a podiatrist to help them if they have any foot ulcers or anything like that. So that's an example of of integrated patient centered eye care. Um, And so that's kind of was my interaction with the NHS. And then also just, you know, how much they research they put into their guidelines and having medications approved. Um, you know, they just basically have to prove a lot of efficacy beyond oftentimes what we have to hear because, you know, they're, everyone's putting into the system and everyone's benefiting from the system. So you got to make sure if you're covering a medication that it's actually the most efficacious at the lowest costs. Wow. Um, I didn't expect that response uh, because, you know, in the United States, we do have these groups of, of specialists uh, and they all work together, but it's not always the case. Um, a lot of the patients are left to kind of coordinate their care on their own. Um, and I really like that idea. And I wish we would kind of go towards that because uh, our patients are our number one um, uh, people that we need to focus. Um, so, you know, you've talked about your cornea and refractive surgery uh, subspecialty training. Uh, I was kind of curious, why, why exactly was that a, a, a subspecialty you chose to do fellowship in? Sure. So I 
I really liked cornea surgery from the beginning. I just really, really liked transplantations. Um, I just kind of always enjoyed the actual surgery, but I also have sort of a personal reason for it. And, and that is that I had a bone marrow transplant when I was 20. Um, my, my younger sister was the, the donor and I thought actually for a while because of that experience that I might go into oncology and hematology, but I just think it was too, um, it was too personal for me. Like I just kind of took those cases home with me when I was a medical student. And um, so I think though using, I think cornea transplantation, eye banking, that's kind of a way for me, uh, you know, to give back and connect with that idea of, you know, transplantation, I and my sister's blood in me all the time. And just something like, I don't know, I was just drawn to it for, because of that experience. That's really unique. Um, you know, I definitely agree with you. So going towards the topic of global ophthalmology, now that we've talked about your MPH, as well as, you know, your interest in cornea, uh, what is global ophthalmology fellowship and how is it structured? So that's a great question. Um, because it differs depending on where you do your global ophthalmology fellowship. And so I can really only speak to one and obviously I can only speak to it during a year of a pandemic. I mean, I can, I can, I can talk to, I, I since I did a residency at the Moran, I kind of know what some of our previous fellows years have looked like. Um, but so in, in, in general, it's basically at least at the Moran a year for you to develop your relationships with international partners um, and choose a project of your interest and kind of pursue that and have the support behind you to do that um, without you know, too many other distractions. Pretty much every fellowship that I'm aware of will have some clinical responsibilities. Um, oftentimes that kind of helps support your salary for the year. Um, whether it's, you know, staffing, uh, like at Wills, they you know, have a certain amount of, um, shifts that they have to cover their IER, um, at the Moran, you're responsible at least earlier in the year when the, um, first years are new, first year residents, um, to kind of help them staff some of the inpatient consults. Um, when you're in town, you know, responsible for having your own clinic. So there are a few things here and there that are requirements, um, but there's also a lot of freedom to create what you want out of the year. My year was unique for several reasons. Um, the pandemic being the first reason. Um, the second being having, having my background in the, with the MPH or um, MSc is actually the degree that uh, the UK gives and kind of the perspective that gave me in terms of research and how to approach projects. And then third, um, th that I was pregnant and, ha and had a baby during the year, kind of all made the, the year a little bit more unique for me. So anyhow, um, a lot of my projects were research-based. Um, you know, I, I, I submitted one IRB and the other is in process and also updated a third IRB to include a pediatric population that hadn't been included before. So anyhow, that was my year was a lot more research based with projects that are still ongoing. Um, 
and will continue, you know, past my fellowship. And I can talk about those projects for sure, but that's just kind of an overview of, of what my year, and also kind of morphed into an academic year where I taught residence surgery. Um, on a normal year, there's typically a lot of time spent learning um, manual small incision cataract surgery. So the type of cataract surgery that doesn't require FACO um, or ultrasound power. And I luckily had the opportunity to do that during residency, but I was hoping to spend another month at Aravind, um, which I'm sure you're familiar with mm -hmm. and kind of fine tune those skills. But with the pandemic, obviously that, that didn't end up happening. Um, I also had plans um, at the end of the year. So I was looking at June um, to either go to Ethiopia or to Haiti, um, where I basically have some connections and a pro and a project in Haiti that I'm hoping to get off the ground. And, um, for political reasons, more than anything, um, didn't end up getting to go to either, either place. So it's just layer upon layer of why things didn't work out exactly like I was hoping. Um, another important aspect just to be aware of at, for the Moran fellowship is, um, there's a lot of time doing local outreach too. So we do um, projects with our homeless population in Salt Lake City. Um, so like usually we have about a once a month clinic, um, which our residency, the um, senior residents usually run, but um, we help out with. We had, because of the pandemic, we had basically shut that down for a few months. We did a Saturday clinic that I was involved in. And then the other big thing is going down to Navajo Nation here. Um, and that's also a once a month, usually once a month um, activity that is gearing back up. Um, but I was able to go a few times and, and that was part of my project was adding the pediatric population. We're kind of going back and looking at um, rates of astigmatism in, in our pediatric population. So that's kind of an overview of like normal. That's what my year was like. Normally a Moran year would be spending, you know, anywhere from seven to 10 months um, with our various partners, which are um, in Haiti, Micronesia, Tanzania. Um, we spend time, usually people, the fellows will go to Aravind or Nepal um, mm -hmm. to do M6 um, and, you know, basically if they have other connections, spending time there as well. So it's usually a, a lot heavier in terms of traveling and making connections with our international partners. Um, so that's kind of my fellowship. I can talk a little bit also about what I know about the other ones, but I, I'm certainly more of an, you know, knowledgeable at the, about the Moran fellowship. Yeah. Um, and no, that was actually one of my questions about how the Moran program is unique because each one of these fellowships that I've, and it's in our website, uh, all of the fellowships, and it's also in Dr. Jeff Petey's website in the University of Utah, where he's composed uh, all of these fellowships and provided information. And, uh, you know, all of them seem so different, uh, either depending on the amount of time you spend outside of the country uh, or the spe specific partners um, that you have. Uh, and one of the things that really strikes me about Utah, while everybody, you know, goes to um, these outside uh, countries outside of our own, there's this focus on the Navajo Nation, uh, which is really unique to the to, to the state of Utah. 
Um, and one of the things that I wanted to ask you about um, in conjunction to this fellowship was about the Young Eye Surgeon International Service Grant uh, that you were afforded. It seemed like, you know, for the most part, this entire year has been uh, very well utilized despite all the, um, you know, obstacles you had to come across. But you've, you've really had a, a very focused year where you've uh, accomplished a great deal, actually. Yeah, I mean, I felt like I, I felt like I got a lot off the ground. I mean, I, I have a lot that I still need to wrap up, wrap up and feel like I accomplished something because it was like, I started a lot of things, but I have a lot to finish. So that's kind of, that's basically my goal over the next year or two is to wrap up what I started. Um, but all things, um, all the projects that I started, I'm very proud of, you know, there are a lot of the projects that I was involved with as a medical student and a resident, you know, there's someone else's projects that you're getting experience from. Um, was really nice to have that ownership and it took me a while to decide what I wanted to do um but you know at the end of the day I ended up with with um projects that I'm I'm really happy and excited about um the one of them is was is related to the ASCRS service grant um and that is the project that I'm hoping to start in Haiti it's also kind of morphed in in terms of what exactly that project is going to be Mm -hmm. Uh, initially my thoughts were that I would kind of run a flipped classroom so so the grant this year they just started it two years ago for young ophthalmologists um, who want to do global ophthalmology and so they give out um, a grant to young ophthalmologists and this year, because, you know, they, they still offered it knowing that we're in the middle of a pandemic. And this year they wanted it to be part of the project to be during the pan- pandemic from abroad. Mm-hmm. So ways, find out ways to be creative so that you can be engaged and then go to the country at a later point. So my idea was to do sort of a flipped classroom with uh, the students listening to lectures about cornea in French And then I would sort of kind of do some case scenarios and, you know, one-on-one flipped classroom at, you know, at at a later date, basically after they've already reviewed that material. Mm -hmm. Um, They have a pro a U.S.-based program director. And um, the thought was that once, you know, that the pandemic wasn't as bad and that I was, you know, when I was going to go, when I was thinking about going in June, that I would just kind of be more teaching in person. Mm -hmm. Um, So that kind of put, got put in the back burner. However, now with the political unrest, um, we're looking at that option again. And more specifically, what they really wanted help in was teaching um, and learning corneal suturing. So if there's some sort of trauma um, how to suture the cornea. And then also on top of that, since it's related, um, how to do a penetrate, penetrating keratoplasty. So a full thickness corneal transplant. So the idea now is, is to teach that in French and make a video, um, to be able to give to them so that they can watch it over and over again. And then I'm still hoping to go in person, um, and teach that skill one-on-one in the future. But on top of that, it's sort of morphed into um, the desire to, and this is where my IRB comes in, 
the desire to create a rubric for corneal transplantation and just corneal suturing in, in general. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I don't know how many of your listeners are aware of the International Council of Ophthalmology or ICO. Um, so that body often um, for is really important for a lot of countries that don't have a specific country ophthalmology board to certify them. It's a way to get uh, recognized certification um, no matter what country you're coming from. Oh, wow. and so they do boards, but then they also offer um, rubrics on teaching and learning different surgeries. So that kind of started with um, manual small incision cataract surgery, FACO. They now have TRAB, trabeculectomy, and, and I'm hoping to add a PKP and corneal, just general corneal suturing rubric um, to that. So that's kind of what it's morphed into. And it's, it's a, it's a big process. It's, um, requires many experts who teach corneal suturing and, and corneal transplantation and getting their input and kind of, it's an iterative process where that rubric is created and then tested. So that is kind of my, you know, a bigger goal for, for me that should hopefully, um, come to fruition over the next one or two years. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I think, you know, what I really like about uh, your career uh, trajectory or history is that you were able to complete all of your subspecialty training prior to starting the Global Ophthalmology Fellowship. Um, I find uh, maybe like that's a, a benefit uh, because you now you don't have to, you know, go back into a subspecialty and uh, you can now focus on your uh, final path of, of doing global ophthalmology and helping all these wonderful um, countries such as Haiti um, get the education that you've um, already learned uh, through your training. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think there's pros and cons to doing it in, in any which order. And I'm happy to talk to yeah. talk to that at some point, or, you know, if anyone who's listening would like to reach out, I mean, there's, there's definitely, um, pros to it. Like you said, like having, knowing what I want to do and what my subspecialty will be and what my unique contribution will be. Um, you know, there are some people that, you know, say that you should do it. You should do your subspecialty training last, just so that you're like, you know, surgically ready to enter into that field. Um, you know, it's now been two years since I've done, um, a lot of corneal surgery. However, um, you know, I've been maintaining my surgical skills throughout even my master's program by doing some locums in between. Um, and now even with this global ophthalmology fellowship, even though I didn't get to do like the M6, um, you know, just doing, keeping my hands busy throughout the year, um, you know, that I think I'll be able to jump right back into, um, cornea surgery is just something to, for the listeners to be aware. I mean, that's something that I get asked at my interviews, um, when I'm looking for a job is like, Hey, do you think you can, you know, jump back into cornea after being, you know, gone for a couple of years? Um, and I honestly do not see an issue with it. I mean, I think anyone who takes a little bit of time off, like might need a little more time when they're getting started and back into things. But even if you take, you know, two or three months off in between, your fellowship training and getting your first job, you're going to be a little bit rusty. Um, and so I just think that, that no matter what, that, you know, you can get back up to speed pretty quickly. I mean, obviously if you're going much longer than that, if we're talking about three, four or five years and that's an issue, 
Um, but I, you know, I think it's, I think it's certainly possible to do it in either order. Yeah, I didn't, uh, you know, I think it's always tricky the way you mentioned it, because, you know, as a student, I don't have that foresight, but now that you've completed all these things, uh, you can think back, oh, which order should I have done this? Um, but, but I really think, you know, you've used this year to your advantage and there's a lot of really exciting work that you've been able to get off the ground. And, uh, I had no idea that, you know, they has these uh, accreditations um, that they can allow, you know, people from any country to be certified in certain techniques. And that's uh, really helpful for countries who are currently struggling uh, to have ophthalmologists with certain skills. And especially with the travel ban and, of course, the political unrest, it makes for a much harder trip for surgeons outside of their country to be coming in. Um so, you know, Dr. Bernicell, we're coming up in the hour, but I, I wanted to, you know, talk about uh, being a woman in, in ophthalmology. You've just had your uh, daughter and uh, it's, it's a wonderful thing to always come across somebody who is a new mother and also uh, going into, you know, the practice of ophthalmology. How has it been, you know, um, having, having that experience come to light? Well, it's been, hasn't been easy necessarily. I, I, I think the overarching theme is that it's possible. And if you want both, then, then it's possible to have both. And I'm, I'm glad that I am lucky enough to have both. Um, I think the thing that's hard about it is that you always are questioning if you're doing a good, good enough job at either of those jobs, you know, being a mom and, being an ophthalmologist and being a global ophthalmologist in particular, um, you know, you're always questioning yourself, you know, to, if you're good enough at both of them. And um, like we were kind of saying before you even officially started recording, you know, it's an art and um, it's something I'm still learning and getting the hang of. Um, but I love both so much um, that I'm just kind of learning as I'm going and, um, you know, there'll be ups and downs with both uh, along the way, but um, I'm just, you know, excited to have the opportunity to be both a mom, a woman in, in ophthalmology. I mean, it's, um, I luckily have been surrounded by many wonderful female mentors, um, who really inspired me. And so I think, you know, anything's the sky's the limit and, um, it's just, it's a wild ride, but it's so worth it. That's awesome. That's why it's so, so important to be following your passions, because uh, somewhere you find a way uh, to make it work. And of course, having that support system is, is so, so important. Um, and, you know, for all the medical students or residents considering a field, a, a field like global ophthalmology, what would your one advice be uh, before they start? I guess when you're thinking about global ophthalmology, what does that mean to you? And does it, does it mean just going on failed trips and doing a bunch of surgeries in a different country? Um, and, you know, patting yourself on the back, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. I just would caution, um, that when you do get involved in something like that, that you, that the, at least the leadership has some bigger picture in terms of what they're trying to achieve. And that you have someone in that group who's thinking about, the unforeseen consequences of what are what's happening. Um, if you are truly passionate about global ophthalmology and you want, um, you know, to spend a, a good proportion of your 
um, career in that, I would highly recommend, you know, doing a global ophthalmology fellowship. And, you know, I cannot say enough nice things about this, the masters that I did in London. Um, and even if, if you can't, you know, uproot and go to London, you know, they, you know, their general masters of public health, um, would be fantastic. You know, you still use, learn the same principles. Um, you might not look at all of the case scenarios through the lens of eye care, um, but certainly valuable in terms of thinking about the bigger picture. Um, and then lastly, if you're, you know, if you can't make either commitment, but you still want to do some global ophthalmology, um, you know, try to take some online courses. The London School of Hygiene does have some free um, online courses that are specific to eye care. That's kind of a nice, easy place to start. Um, so yeah, just educate yourself. And if you don't have the time to become highly educated, but you still want to contribute it in some way, just make sure that you're involved in a program that has, um, you know, the, has some experts that are thinking about the bigger picture on your behalf. That's wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Bernicell. I think this session is filled with incredible training specific advice. And uh, I can't be more thankful for, for you to be on this platform, taking that time out and, and really giving your um, honest you know, response about how this year has been. I know it's not been easy. It's been very difficult, um, but thank you again. Uh, I think you've handled it very gracefully. You're very welcome. And um, all the best to all you who are interested in global ophthalmology and ophthalmology in general. And um, I think we're going to get through this together. All right. <laughs> Take care. Thanks, Rizal. Thank you for listening to Open Globe Talk. If you enjoyed this podcast, follow us on Twitter at Open Globe Talk. You can access audio recordings on our website, openglobetk.com where we make our sessions available on Spotify, Apple, and Google. Our release dates are each Friday evening of the week we interview our guest speakers. We are incredibly appreciative of our listeners and hope you ride along to meet more inspirational figures in global ophthalmology. Thanks and take care.